Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. I really felt the Lord was... um challenging me to challenge you as we move into two services. Now, when we go into two services, some of you have gone to churches with multiple services. I don't know how many of you have been involved in any of those transitions, but there's a lot of logistical issues that ha- that come up during two services. But what the Lord kind of spoke to me over uh, over this bike ride was that while I was fretting about the logistical issues, what I should really be focusing on are the spiritual issues of moving into multiple services. And that this is really a spiritual move more than it is just a, a will to go to two services. That it's more of a spiritual battle that, that, that we're going to face than just, okay, the logistics of multiple services. And so he put four things on my heart to challenge you with, to ask of you. So I have four asks, four things to ask that you would join with me in November as we lead up to December 1st, which is our first service, which is the first Sunday after Thanksgiving that we go to multiple services. And you might think, well, why did you pick that weekend? Because I had to pick one. And picking one uh, is not as easy as it would sound. There's always something going on. I know this is a long weekend. I'm going to talk about that in a second. But I have four big asks. And Stacy and I are totally, as I've said, I say it with all sincerity, we're blessed to be your pastors. But as pastors, as shepherds, we are called to lead the church, right? We are called to lead, and leading means walking in a direction and leading the flock in that direction. It doesn't mean just kind of watching people or, or sheep graze, right? That's not what shepherds do, because pretty soon they run out of, of, of where they're feeding, and they need to kind of keep moving forward. They need to keep in motion in order to keep growing and become stronger. And so as a church, I'm grateful uh, for an offering. I'm grateful to be your pastor. I'm thankful for pastor appreciation, but I am nothing says uh, we trust our pastors, we trust our leaders more than responding to challenge and responding to the word of God that's being preached and the challenges that come forth. And so uh, I don't want to be heavy handed in this, uh, but but I, I, I'm a, I rarely come here with asks. If you've been here any time, I, I I'm asking some things this time that I've never asked in in eight years of ministry in in Stuttgart. So um, the first thing I'm going to ask you to do is every Wednesday in November, I I would like you to fast one meal with us. And fasting, let me just explain briefly what the purpose of fasting is. It's not the self-emaciation of, you know, so that we can get something from God. It's not not punishing ourselves that God may hear us more. I want you to know God hears your prayers. God hears your prayer. And, and no, ma- no amount of suffering, no amount of fasting is going to make God hear you more. We fast that we would deny ourselves food, that we might focus more closely on spiritual matters. And so if we just fast and we say, I'm going to skip a meal and that's it, that's not enough. You need to fast. And during that time that you would be eating, that you would be preparing and enjoying that meal, pray. Pray specifically. So fast one meal, and during that, while you would be eating that meal, I'm going to ask you that you would pray for all of the things that the Lord brings to your heart with two services, right? That God would, we'd have enough volunteers, that logistically things would figure out, that the same anointing be on both services, that our band continue to serve faithfully and be blessed, and, and uh, that everything just goes smoothly. Whatever God lays in your heart, that we would have unity, 
in our church because that's one thing that we lose, you know. We're going to lose a little bit of that when we go to two services. Some of you that are sitting next to each other uh, may not see each other for a month or two because, you know, one of you comes to the 9 o'clock and one comes to the 1030. So we want to make sure that you're praying for all those needs. And more, inf- more instruction on that will come via email or in the coming weeks uh, or next week or maybe this week. This is my second point, that you would carefully read all emails. I know this seems like a small ask, but it's actually a big one. Because it turns out not a lot of our emails get read, right? So we don't email you just arbitrarily. We try to email you important information. So I'm asking that when you get an email from the church, read it. Read it, okay? Because there's going to be changes coming in the way you serve. And so we want you to be informed about that, okay? Um, We are going to do our best to minimize the meetings that are necessary for staff, for volunteer staff, uh, because I hate meetings. And I know you hate them too. Okay, so we're going to kind of avoid all that as much as possible. But if you are invited to a meeting, make it a priority to be there. I I would especially think kids ministry is going to need maybe to meet. Okay, Uh, but ushers and greeters and those kinds of things, those those roles aren't really going to change all that much. Thirdly. Sacrifice. Travel over the Thanksgiving weekend. So here's the big ask. Here's the big ask. Here's the big thing I've really never asked. C.S. Lewis said, and I've said this before, how much should you give? Enough until you feel it. Church, we're not feeling it. We do whatever we want. We get whatever's left over. Some of you maybe, I'm not saying that of everybody, but certainly of the majority, that's, that's true. Going to two services, I know it's a long weekend. I'm asking you to give up that long weekend and be here. Be here in church on that Sunday. Be here uh, to support this move. Let's ha- to be- invite friends. Right? You're, none of you are going to invite friends or coworkers if you're not here. Right? I don't blame you. Hey, please, hey, come to my church. I won't be there. I'm going to the Alps. But if you could be there, that would be awesome because my pastor's really laying it on thick, man. <laughs> it just doesn't work. Right? It's not very inviting. Now, listen, I tell you this. I've never asked it in seven years. I have no plans to ask it in the next seven. But this is a big move for our church. This is something that we're going to be, that we are doing together. And it's not about an ego boost. It's about having the volunteers we need. It's about having a full house. It's about saying we are all in. We are all in. Now, just like fasting, I don't think there's, I think there is value in that, okay, in the, in the fasting, but I also think there's value in asking you to sacrifice that weekend. I realize today that may, some of you may already have plans. I understand that. I'm not going to be calling you. I'm not going to be judging you. This is what the Lord laid on my heart. It's my job to relay that to you. The way you respond is open to you, okay? But here's what I would say. If you are sacrificing that trip, if you were thinking about that trip, The fourth and last big ask is that you would take the funds that you would have spent on that trip and you would commit to give those to Mark and Liddy Versluis in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. That you would say, I'm not going to, not only am I not going to travel on Thanksgiving weekend, but what I was going to spend on that trip, what I was going to spend on airfare, hotel, and meals, I'm going to give that as a love offering. I'm going to sow that into a place where they don't even have walls for their church. That they have one lamp in the whole place where they don't have anything I think it's, I don't think it, this is from me. I think this is from the Lord. What better way to celebrate Thanksgiving than to give thanks for all the things that we do have? 
We do have a lot of things. And I know this is a hurt, and this is a pinch, and, and that this puts, I, I, I can see you kind of shifting cheek to cheek in your seat, okay? I know this is making some uncomfortable. But I, I, this is just what I feel the Lord's laid on my heart. So this is what we're, this is what we're doing in November. This is what I'm asking you to participate in. There'll be more information coming down the road. I want to tell you that Stacy and I are all in on this. Now, we weren't planning to take a trip on Thanksgiving, but we, we are, we are, we are going to give what we would spend on a four-day trip. We've taken enough of those, we know. I want to tell you that when I ask you something like this, that we are doing it as well. Okay, We never ask you to do something like this, and we say, oh, well, I hope they do something. We lead from the front. And uh, uh, we, we, we believe that the Lord has spoken here, and so this is where we're going. So if this is your first time here, this is just a little bit of housekeeping. This is a little bit of, of, what, of what we're doing. But we are a spirit-led church. We are a church that follows the Lord and his leading. We believe that he is living and active in our church and, and that this is just the direction that uh, he has given uh, me anyway. And so um, thank you for your trust in that. So let's get to God's word because... Uh, I believe God has a really special message for us today, and uh, I mean, we have had just some great preaching over the last few weeks. We had uh, Jim Singleton here and all his years of ministry. It was so great having him, and, and Jordan did a great job, and, and uh, you know, sometimes people, guest preachers, and Jordan gets, gets to preach messages that I would like to preach, okay? But today, I really, uh, man, I'm really feeling it in Isaiah, and so I, I'm really feeling the presence of the Lord in my preparation all week and, and in, in his word. So we're in Isaiah 52 and 53, and as a church, we're going through the Bible. I have my big Bible today, so you guys know what that means, right? That means it's, it's about to be on, okay, in the preaching department. And um, we are going to be um, looking at the prophet. Now, we are not this far in the Bible, but uh, uh, we are going through the Bible in a chronological fashion. The Bible is grouped in... in, in uh, it's segmented by man, right? But not in the way it was, not in the order in which it was written. It's just kind of grouped together in poetic books and uh, historical books and law books uh, for our convenience. But we're going through in a chronological way. And today's text would make you think that Isaiah lived 700 years after Jesus. Uh, when we get into the prophecies that, that Isaiah brought forth, we're going to say, well, but when? Wow, he's describing Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. Obviously, this is a historical account. It's not. It's a prophetic account. Actually, uh, he lived 700 years before Jesus. 700 years. Now, just to put that in context a little bit, that would be somebody in the 1300s or the 14th century making a prediction about what life was like today. Can you imagine? The, third, the 14th century, right? Well, pretty soon they're going to be riding, they're going to be riding horses made of metal, that move by some noxious liquid. And, I mean, they couldn't even conceive of it. And the truth is, if Isaiah would have only lived one day before Jesus was born, and the prophecies that we're going to read came true, we would still be amazed. But the fact that it's 700 years before the birth of Christ is amazing. Isaiah is considered one of the most educated and influential of the writing prophets. He comes from an upper middle class family in Jerusalem. He had influence. But Hebrew tradition tells us that Isaiah was martyred, like many of the prophets. He was sawn in two by King Manasseh. 
So before we get into the word today, I, I just love the choice of song. Stacy was wanting to work that song in for a long time. But so perfect today. Open up our eyes in wonder. Church, sometimes we just need to, s- to stand in wonder of our great God. How big, how great, how awesome he is. And here in Isaiah, we will see that God's, God was not surprised by sin, of Adam, the sins of Adam and Eve. He's not surprised by the sins of Israel. And he's not surprised by your sin. But he has been moved by grace, by his grace, to save us from our sin, from the foundations of the world. Let's pray and ask God to open our hearts and minds to that truth. Lord, we thank you today. We thank you for your word. Your word that reveals your character, who you are. And Lord, by understanding your word, we understand who you are. And God, I pray that you would speak to us today. Speak to us through the words of the prophet. Speak to us through the fulfillment of those words in the New Testament. Speak to us, O God, and let us wonder at your mercy, at your grace, at your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, church, we are going to read Isaiah 52 and 53 in its entirety, and we're going to take it slow. We're going to devote ourselves to the public reading of Scripture. If you don't have a Bible, you can look up here, or you can just close your eyes and just wonder at the awesomeness of God. Isaiah 52, verse 1, awake, awake. Put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments. O Jerusalem, the holy city, for there shall be no more come into you, the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing. You shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, my people went down at first into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. Now, therefore, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing? Their rulers wail, declares the Lord, and continually all day my name is despised. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of those, uh, of, of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves, you who would bear the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go out, go in flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Verse 13. And here we see where it starts opening up even more clearly about Jesus. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. 
Some versions of your Bible may say startle, which is actually a much more accurate translation, so that he may startle many nations. Kings shall be shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told, they, them they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed that he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord be revealed? For he grew up before them like a young plant and a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should, despise, uh, that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and, by, and with his wounds we are healed. And we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring and he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By the knowledge, by his knowledge, shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Amen. Isn't it just clear as a bell who Isaiah is talking about? Isn't it just, it's astonishing that Isaiah, as we have it today, existed when Jesus was born. And here are the Jews, uh, the religious leaders of the day, denying that Jesus is the Christ. It's just so clear. It's just so clear. Today we want to talk, I'm going to try to extract from all this text that we just read three, three main points, because that's what I'm supposed to do as a preacher, dilute just such awesome, just God's word, just awesome passages of scripture to three main points. But we're going to talk today about Jesus' rejection, we're going to talk about his suffering, and we're going to talk about his victory, okay? So first let's talk about his rejection. Why was Jesus rejected? He was rejected for his words, for his works, and for his person, right? Jesus was crucified because he claimed to be the son of God. Now, some religious, uh, they're, not, they're not Christian organizations, but they go in the name of Christ, but they're not Christians. They would claim that Jesus never claimed to be the son of God, Okay, And some non-Christian organizations might say this, right? That Jesus never claimed to be the Son of God. That's not true. 
it's because Jesus claimed to be the Son of God that he was put to death for blasphemy. This was the crime he committed. Jesus said in John 10.30, I and the Father are one. And you go down two more verses, and it says this in 10.33, the Jews answered him, it's not for good works that we're, putting, we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy. But for blasphemy. Jesus, he, he was not crucified on a cross for healing on the Sabbath. He wasn't crucified on the cross for talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. He was crucified for blasphemy. He did claim to be the Son of God. right? And we know that Jesus is the Son of God, that what he spoke was true, and if he says he's the Son of God, he's the Son of God. That's why he was crucified. So, but he was rejected by the religious leaders of the day for claiming to be the Son of God. He was also rejected for his works. We know Jesus did miracles. We knew that the one, I mean, just touching the hem of his garment, just having the faith to say, yes, Jesus, I know you can heal me, was enough for people to receive healing. But rather than receive the good he was doing, the religious leaders of the time accused him of being demon-possessed. Are you starting to see a theme here? Who was the enemy, the primary enemy of Jesus? Religious people. Religious people. I, I think that's, that's so interesting that it's the people who most should have been looking for Jesus who insisted that he be put to death. You know, this morning as I was praying at home before the service, I, I, was, I literally prayed, Lord, whatever happens in our service today, Holy Spirit, whatever you do, whatever happens, let me put aside a cynical and judgmental heart. Let me just be open to whatever you might have for us today. Let me just receive from you whatever you bring into our service. Because I don't want to be an enemy of the cross. I don't want to be an enemy of what God is doing. I want God to move in our church. I, I believe that that not only can he speak to us in private as we pray, but as a church, he can move and speak to us. And let us not be of the mindset of we have God in this little box and anything that happens outside of it. Now, what's the box? The box is not your understanding of God. That's not the box. The box, how, who, how, is, how do we know who God is? His word, right? None of us are ever going to get to heaven, and we're going to meet Jesus, and he's going to say, well, you just followed my word too closely. That's never going to happen. That's never going to be happening. It, never, 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 never. So trust God's word. Be open to what he, the promises that he promises in his word. And be diligent in that, right? We know who God is because he has written himself into human history. We only know anything about God because he has written himself into history. And he has sent Jesus, obviously, to show us the Father. He was also rejected because of his person. See, Jesus didn't come as the Jews and the religious leaders thought he might. And don't hear what I'm not saying today. I got this saying from Greg Sailors, our men's, I love that, right? Don't hear what I'm not saying. Jews, the Jews are not the enemy of the cross, okay? But in the time, the religious leaders were Jewish, and they were the ones opposed to Jesus. Jesus was born in a manger. He had a humble, uneventful upbringing, so uneventful that we barely know anything of it. A short, though powerful ministry. And eventually he was convicted as a criminal and was crucified on a tree between two thieves. He was rejected because he did not fit the mold of king or lord. John 1.11 says this. He came into his own and his own people did not receive him. He came to the Jews. He came to the religious leaders. He came to them, but they rejected him. 
They rejected him. So he was rejected for his words, for his work, for his person. Because he was rejected, he was accused, falsely accused of blasphemy in his suffering. So here's Jesus who is doing all these wonderful things we read about in the New Testament. Healing people, teaching, promoting peace and unity, bringing people together. And the religious leaders demand his execution. For whatever reason, we can hypothesize why the religious leaders wanted him dead. Why it could have been money, could have been power, all the things that sinful men are driven by. Whatever it is, he was falsely accused. He wasn't guilty of any of the accusations. Yes, he claimed to be God, but guess what? He was God. So there was no reason for him to be crucified. Pilate said to them, we know this story, we read it about every Easter. What shall I do with Jesus who was called Christ? They said, let him be crucified. Let him be crucified. After Pilate responded, you know, it's just a poor example of leadership. Pilate knew he should have released Jesus. He wanted to release Jesus, but instead of being a leader, he went with the flow. Now, we know that this all happened in according to the will of God, because it was, we will read, we read later in Isaiah, it was the will of God to crush him. It was the will of God to crush him for our sins, for our iniquities. But Jesus is sentenced by Pilate to flogging and death by crucifixion. The words of Isaiah written over 700 years ago are fulfilled in this moment. It says he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he, not, he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent. He opened not his mouth. Jesus didn't offer a defense of himself. He didn't argue with Pilate. He was a willing sacrifice. Now, this is where we have to wonder at God. God spoke you and I into existence. He spoke Pilate into existence, right? He, Pilate, exists literally by the will of God. Jesus submitted himself to this kangaroo court, submitted himself to the judgment of man, submitted himself to the punishment of flogging. And let's just talk about flogging for a second. Flogging was such a violent act, most people died from that act itself. Okay, flesh ripped open. The Bible, Isaiah says it perfectly, and we, you know, the the romantic stories of Jesus, and and, uh, not romantic, but the less bloodied versions, right? Maybe the passion is what comes close, closest. But he was, you could hardly tell he was a human being. He submitted himself to that. Then he, he, he submitted himself to death. He gave up his spirit. Jesus' gruesome death played out exactly as Isaiah had prophesied. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. In verse 553, it says this, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Now, this healing 
that Isaiah is talking about and is later referenced in the New Testament is a source of a little bit of Christian controversy. Right? Does this healing only apply to our spiritual healing, or does it apply both to our spiritual healing and our physical healing? I believe that it, be- it belongs to both. It's our physical healing, and it's our spiritual healing. The wounds that he suffered were our wounds. He took the punishment for our sin, and through his wounds we are healed. But also, not only has sin been defeated by what Jesus did, but the effects of sin. Now, not all the effects, right? Not everybody who prays for healing receives healing, but healing is certainly possible supernaturally through what Jesus accomplished, okay? And I want to tell you that if you disagree with that, I will still pray for you if you're sick, but you don't have to receive it, okay? And we can, we don't have to agree on that. We don't have to agree on that, okay? You're still my brother, you're still my sister, but I believe what Jesus accomplished on the cross is finished, okay? It's done. So, we talked about Jesus' rejection. We talked about his suffering. We're not going to spend a lot of time on any one of these. Lastly, let's talk about his victory. What was accomplished on the cross? Why, Why was this great injustice, the greatest injustice that history has ever known, I was talking with someone this week, and we were talking about injustice. We were talking about the will of God. We were talking about why some people are made to suffer. Listen, whenever you're feeling like that, whenever I'm feeling like that, whenever I'm feeling that, that why is the Lord making me to suffer? Why is he making those who I love suffer? Why is this happening? Number one, God is not responsible for sin. Sin was not his idea, right? Now, did God know sin was going to happen? yes. But there's this great thing that the, one of the greatest gifts God has given us, and that's free will. Free will. We choose who we love. And love is a choice, not a feeling, by the way. We choose who we love. We can love Jesus, we can love ourselves. We can't love both. Right? We can love Jesus, we can love ourselves, we can't love both. Jesus is either Lord of all or is Lord of nothing at all. And here, and, 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 and God will allow us to suffer the consequences of our self-love, of our idolatry. He will allow this. And I believe that the whole time that we're suffering, the whole time we're suffering those consequences, I, I just have to believe that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father saying, now, now they will see that I'm the Lord. Now they will turn to me. Now, in their desperation, they will look to me. How many of you are... are are believers today, and you've seen family members go through that, and that's your prayer. God, my family's really hurting today, and I, I want relief for them, but more than I want relief for them, I want them to know your goodness. I want them to know your mercy and your grace. I want them to know you, because it's through those dark hours and those lonely times that so many of us have come to Jesus. Very rarely will you see someone like the rich young ruler Come to the Lord, you know, when everything's going swimmingly and everything's awesome and they they are just swelled up with their own self-confidence and self-righteousness like you and me. When we were like that, were we open to receiving Christ? No, why? Because we had it under control. It's only when things get out of control that we look for a solution, that we look for a savior. It's only when we're drowning that we're looking for the lifeguard, right? It's only when we're hurting that we go to the doctor, So through his resurrection, he defeated sin and its effects. 
He even defeated death. 1 Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteousness for the the righteous for the unrighteous, excuse me, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. He suffered for sins. Whose sins? His own? No, our sins. He suffered for us, that he might bring us back into a right relationship with us. I mean, with him. That is awesome. Because Jesus kept his promise to be raised from the dead, we can trust also that he will keep his promise that we too shall be raised. He has defeated death. Death is nothing to be feared. You may pass from this life to the next, but if you're a believer, you will, well, if you're a believer or not, you will not be dead, dead. Either you will enjoy eternity in the presence of God, or by your own willful choice, you will suffer punishment for eternity. Those are the two options that we have before us. Jesus said in John 14, 19, in a little while the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. He gives us a promise that because he lives, because he is resurrected, we too can trust in the resurrection of the believer. So we also have Jesus' promise. And this is where a lot of Christians miss it. Right? They accept Jesus, they accept the grace of God, right? and they may even submit their lives to Jesus. But one thing they miss is it's not Jesus just dying for the forgiveness of sins, even though that would be enough, but it's the great exchange. It's the exchange of our sinful lives for his righteousness, that we receive righteousness. And this leads us to my next point, is that we have his resurrection, and that's part of his victory, but also the fulfillment of his promise. Before Jesus ascended, he promised his people that he would send the Holy Spirit to empower them to continue his work on earth. He says in Luke 24, 49, Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in this city until you're clothed with power from on high. Now, why is this, how is this tied to what Isaiah said? How is this tied to Jesus' death and resurrection and this great exchange that we're talking about, this justification for us, our redemption. What's this have to do with it? Well, because of the purity that Jesus imparts to us, because he takes all of our sin and he clothes us in his righteousness, now we are pure vessels. Do you understand that? You don't feel like pure vessels. I don't either, okay? But that's the thing. It's not because of what we have done. It's not because we've earned it. It's because of grace, Grace. Grace means the unmerited favor of God because he has chosen to save you, because he has chosen to forgive you. Listen to me today, church. He has chosen to forgive you. He has chosen to extend to you grace. That's huge. You can never earn your way to heaven, though some of you are still knee-deep in trying. It's, you cannot earn it. It is just grace. It is just him loving on us. It is just because Jesus died Because he took the punishment for you. And because of that, your hearts are sprinkled with the blood of Jesus for the cleansing and the washing away of sins. And because of that, the promise of the Father can now be fulfilled. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, can live in your heart. Now think about this. In the Old Testament, it was the temple. It was the tabernacle. And in the back of the tabernacle was the temple in the temple, the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God dwelt. Even the priest had to wear bells on his feet because if he had any sin, he'd die in there. That's how holy that place is. No sin could go in there. Now, 
Fast forward New Testament. Jesus dies on the cross. His blood covers our sin. Now we are that clean, right? We are that clean. And this is what I'm saying, church. A lot of us miss this. We get the forgiveness. We get what Jesus did. But we fail to live lives that are in righteousness, that are, we walk with our head held high. We are children of the king. We have nothing to fear. We have nothing to be ashamed of, but everything to live for. And that's awesome. That's awesome that the presence of God now doesn't dwell in a temple. He's not up here in the front. He's not in the back when we pray. When you go back there and you pray, you are trusting that spirit-filled people are praying for you. And at the presence of God, why is the presence of God here in this weird building that doesn't even look like a church compared in, by American standards? Why, 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 why is the presence of God here? Because you're here. Because I'm here. Because he lives in our hearts. And that's awesome. So wherever you are, and you're in your living room, presence of God. You're in your kitchen. You're on your bike. Presence of God. It, it is so good. He has not abandoned us. He has is, he is not left us. Romans 8.34 says, Who is to condemn? Jesus, the one who died? More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God who is indeed in interceding for us? Jesus is not condemning you. Who has the power to condemn? Jesus. He's not. He's interceding for you. It is the will of God that every single man, woman, and child be saved. Jesus has not abandoned us because he has restored the relationship with God for all who trust in him as their Savior. We can enjoy fellowship with God and his supernatural power working through us. Look back to the Garden of Eden. Look back to Adam and Eve walking with God in the cool of the night. How they enjoyed fellowship with God. This is what Jesus restores to his people. Fellowship. Now we're still fallen and broken and it's not as it was in the garden, but it will be that way. Our innocence will be restored. Does that make sense? We will know not sin. One day, when Jesus comes back, we, will, we won't know sin. We won't know sin's effects. We won't know death. We won't know sickness. We won't know weeping. We won't know crying. We won't know mourning. Because of what Jesus did. Because of this promise that we have 700 years before his birth. I want to tell you, if you engage God with your head if more than your heart, now there's two kinds of Christians, people who just respond to fiery preaching and, and stuff like that, and they respond with their heart, but there are people who respond with their head too. A lot of this message is for you. 700 years before Jesus is born, Isaiah is prophesying this stuff. It, it, no doubt, a book of Isaiah existed during the t time of Jesus, before he was born, no doubt it was final. It's the same Hebrew word is the same as we have. It's, it's crazy. This is evidence that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. That he is the son of God. And all of his promises are true. John 14, 18 says this. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. 
The Old Testament contains over 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. 300 prophecies fulfilled in Jesus. Mathematically speaking, the odds of anyone fulfilling this, proce- this amount of prophecy are just, is just staggering. Mathematicians would say it like this, and I actually had to consult my resident mathematician, my wife, because this number is so staggering. I don't have it up here, but one person, the odds of one person fulfilling eight prophecies is one in one quadrillion. One quadrillion. I I didn't know how many one, two, three, four, five sets of zeros was. I had to look it up. Quadrillion. One person fulfilling 48 prophecies, the chances, 1 in 10 to the 157th power. One person fulfilling 300 prophecies, like Jesus, only Jesus. Only Jesus. Listen, Jesus' crucifixion was the greatest injustice the world has ever known. Yet Isaiah tells us it was the will of God to crush him. How much does God love you? We used to teach kids this in kids' church. This much. It was the only way that God could preserve his perfect justice, his perfect righteousness, because the punishment for our sins didn't go unpunished. He didn't just pardon us. His wrath for sin was poured out on his own son for you, for me. Why? Because through his substitutionary atonement, we are redeemed from the punishment of our sins. I wrote this down this morning. The greatest sacrifice the world has ever known through the greatest injustice the world has ever known brought the greatest peace the world has ever known through the greatest victory the world has ever known. He did it for you. He did it for me. He did it for them. He did it for all of us. Isaiah, just a wonderful, wonderful book pointing to our Messiah pointing to Jesus. And that's my effort this morning, is that you'd look to Jesus, to point to Jesus. He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. There will never be enough evidence for some people. There will never be enough proof to fully give your heart and your life to Jesus. But I challenge you today, if this is not enough, if Isaiah is not enough, if the fulfillment of 300 prophecies is not enough, what is enough for you to stop being your own God and put your trust in Jesus? What is enough? What amount of convincing will there be? What do you have to see? What do you have to hear? Because I'm telling you, when he comes in the clouds, it's going to be too late. God is not going to make you love him. He's not going to make you love him. You've got to choose to love him. Love is a choice. You've got to choose to love him. Church, would you stand with me? Today you may be here. You may have been coming to this church for a while. You may be going to a church for a while. But you're wrestling with the reality that Jesus is exactly who he said he is. And maybe this morning the Holy Spirit has entered your heart and confirmed something to you for the very first time that you've never felt before. I want to challenge you to respond to that feeling, to that voice in your heart and in your head saying, you know, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord, but I'm not living a submitted life. I'm not living an obedient life. I'm not trusting him with my life.
Respond to that today and affirm in your heart to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus. That everything he said is true. Every one of his promises, true. Avail yourself to the Spirit of God working in your heart. And today, maybe you, you, you've been encouraged with how to encourage others to follow Jesus. Share that with somebody. Hey, you know, Isaiah, this prophet, spoke about Jesus 700 years before Jesus was born. Just read it. You'll see Jesus is Lord. Maybe there's somebody on your heart, a family member, somebody that you like to see, to, you, you would love. You want nothing more than see come to, you know, for them to come to Jesus. Well, we're going to pray for all of that. Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.